want to get into it? Take Placid. <laughs> Is that the theme song? Oh shit, hang on. Uh, dude, no joke. I was outside smoking a cigarette. And I, <laughs> that's so weird you said theme song because I was like, this this should have like a like a television sitcom theme song. Like a uh we're going to late flashing. <laughs> just kid. <laughs> that's so funny. I was just thinking that. That's great. Lake Placid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods, and as aforementioned, we're talking Crocs and Lakes Placid, namely. So, Dylan, where is Lake Placid? Well, this Lake Placid that they're referring to is in Maine. Surprisingly. Yes. Um, yeah, not New York. <laughs> there is a line of dialogue really early in the movie about how they called it Lake Placid in spite of the fact that there's so many logs in the water or however that line goes. Something like that. And then the character says, I'm allergic to timber. <laughs> I'll take that off of my notes right now. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing on my notes. <laughs> so we're going to get into Fonda because Bridget and her whole, she's doing a great job. The character is a whole other experience. The character is so whiny, so whiny. I, so I watched this movie, let's, boy, almost two, three years ago, but I watched it with a group of friends. I was programming a, like a, a little, you know, mini festival for just kind of the local crowd. And we put this one on, and I can't remember what we paired it with, but it was a mega, mega hit. And Bridget Fonda was a part of a lot of the love there. Oh, I love it. I, I love it. Like, don't get me wrong. I love her lines, to her Ramada Inn line. I thought, <laughs> I thought when you meant camping, I thought you meant the Ramada Inn. <laughs> Why would you think that? Nobody has ever used those two words in combination with each other. <sighs> Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into it, but it suffice to say at this point, I was more pleased with Bridget Fonda's character and specifically her performance within what she's given to do than I was the first time. She's, she's pretty dialed in, man. Right on. So before Lake Placid, are there any other bodies of water that you'd like to discuss? Um, maybe not bodies of water, but some movies. Okay, what do you got? I have, uh, let's see, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Damn, boy. Yeah, okay. Uh, one, it's called Dream Horse with uh, Tony Collette and um, Damian Lewis. Wow. That's I... him, right? From Homeland. Yeah, yeah, that's him, the redhead yeah. fella. Yeah, his wife from Peaky Blinders just passed away. Um, you're out of my depth here. Did you not watch Peaky Blinders at all? You'd probably recognize her. She's a big British actor. Uh, she's an older woman, too. I've seen a few episodes of Peaky Blinders, but it was always one of those that, like, just never quite landed for me. I, I gotcha. always was like, I'm into this. I like it, but... Gotcha. Well, she was the mom on the show. Uh, that's not Helen McCrory, is it? I think that's her name. If it says she passed away in 2020 or 2021, that's her. It's Damian Lewis's wife. 
Yeah, uh, she died in April, unfortunately, in Tufnell yes. Park, which is uh, very close <clears throat> to where I was living at that exact time. Mm -hmm. uh, so he went and made this movie right after that whole kind of thing. Okay. And it, or, yeah, I think it was right after. Uh, and it's the true story of a woman in Ireland who, you know, had done like random animal competitions and random competitions throughout her life and had been successful at them. Okay. And she's very stagnant now in her life, just working uh, random jobs. And she decides she wants to breed a racehorse. And so she buys a horse, mates it, and then raises the the baby to become a uh, a racehorse and it's all a true story and it's just really sweet and done really well and tony collette is fucking phenomenal has she ever been bad i i, I don't think so <laughs> i don't think so either man she's just one of the best yeah um and then i watched megan fox one of megan fox's newer movies called till death she has like like four movies that kind of just came out. This one sounded interesting and looked fun. And holy shit, it's really fun. Right on. I actually watched this back when I was at my parents with uh with Sarah, and we were both totally into it. She uh and her husband are going through some tough things, and it's their anniversary, and they go out to a cabin in the woods, they make love. And she wakes up handcuffed to him and he says a couple things and then pulls a gun and kills himself. And shit gets crazy from there. Like from, you should just... <laughs> yeah, from there it gets crazy. Yeah. Uh wow, lots of okay. right I really on. dug that. I've come across a couple of Megan Fox uh quotes lately where she's describing her sexual attraction to various people. You know, <clears> she's like, it makes me want to punch a bull in the face or like grab a bear by the toes and swing it just like these really intense metaphors involving large animals that it made me go like no i get that i i i understand that viscerally i understand this metaphor i get it <laughs> i want to pick the bear up by the toes and swing it around my head too <laughs> exactly uh yes recommend that all right yeah right on and then I watched uh, Guy Ritchie's new one, Wrath of Man. Right on. It's, so I'm curious. Let me ask before you go any further, because a, a handful of critics whom I really respect have all been in favor of this movie and said that it's like a return to form, one of his best in years. And I part of me wondered if that was sort of like pandemic fatigue and people were just like, oh, here's a good movie. And it's not related to this experience that we're all having. So um, where did you land? I liked it. It's thoroughly enjoyable. Lots like it moves quick. It, it, it's the pace of a Guy Ritchie movie. Like you're thoroughly invested in it. It's not one of his best, but it is like really good. What was the one before this? The Gentleman, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, which I actually really liked. I liked The Gentleman as well. I enjoy uh, The Gentleman, but I, it's not a movie that I would generally recommend. It's sort of like, yeah, if you're a Guy Ritchie fan or, you know, yeah. into kind of crime drug movies. The, uh, Wrath of Man feels more um, like the masses could enjoy it more. Right on. Versus just the Guy Ritchie fans. Right on. 
Yeah. Uh, a lot of like Statham's always good, and Josh Hartnett pops up. Haven't seen him in a long time. Okay. Really cool. Yeah. He's yeah. A, a hometowner for me, a Minneapolis native. I did not know that. Also, yeah, I actually this is uh, early claim to fame because we're right about the same age. He's a few years older than I am, but he went to South High School in Minneapolis, and South High School was probably the best theater program in the public school systems. Uh, Purpage for all you Minneapolis heads is where you really want to go if you're an arts student. But South for public schools was where it was at. And he went to South. And so I saw him in a one act review when I was like 14. And then two years later, he's the star of whatever. That's kind of like with uh, me and Ashley Parker Angel of o-town okay you remember o-town <laughs> <laughs> oh what was the song the like my liquid dreams no the chemistry one the like oh god um i don't remember i just remember liquid dreams fair enough yeah. saw him in a, the grease play he was danny zuko fair and enough. then like two years later he's in fucking o-town or some shit theater kids yeah. are gonna theater kid yep uh Okay, this one, no need to stay on it because I fucking hated it. And it took me, I watched it one day, skipped a couple days, and then finished it. Face Jam 2. Yeah, that's on my list also. Yeah, I, uh, well, cool, we'll knock it out right here. Uh, I felt like the adults probably felt when watching the 90s version, like, this is fucking terrible. But the thing is, the first one has... Michael Jordan, who was the biggest thing of all time in that period. He was everywhere. You couldn't escape him. LeBron James is not that. No, he's not that, but it it is a matter. He's a great basketball player. He's a great basketball player, and he's an incredible media commodity to engage in the problems (laughs) of our times. The issue is more that the landscape has been so fractured that nobody, this is a a conversation that I I love to have with my wife Mm. pretty regularly, which is who is the most famous person in the world? And is there anybody that could ever be as famous as Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson? And the last one that we have, I, I argue is Beyonce. She's the last world famous megastar we're never going to see another personality like that again because of the way that our media sphere has fractured so lebron james i think i think the male version of it would be like bieber or something that's given bieber way too much credit that's it totally is but like and it's not like it's not acting like beyonce even does acting and sings and yeah, yeah yeah that's fair that's fair for Different. whatever they're famous for, the, yes. just the amount of impressions that they have, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, just, I don't think there's, we're going to do that ever again. You can't demand the entire planet's attention because people are <clears throat> interested in more interesting shit these days. So it, I don't think it's necessarily fair to, I, I mean, it is, it's this, it's the world that we live in. LeBron James is not as famous as Michael Jordan, and yet he is 
at least as famous as Michael Jordan. It's just that so many other people are very, very famous and our attention yeah. split 27,000. And also we're in a different age. Like when it was Michael Jordan, it was, um, it was just the news and newspapers and early like online blogs, but normal people did not use that stuff. Right. So it was a very concentrated type of uh, outlet for Michael, like all over the TV, obviously all over the, uh, the news, all over sports channels. But then now today it's, it's just expanded more. There's just more to view stuff in, in, uh, I don't know. It's just a different, different times. So back to Space Jam Two. Uh, yeah. uh, it's a mess. The story is terrible. Uh, the Warner verse, like, dude, h- hit me in the face with another fucking character. Why don't you? Uh, <laughs> you know what's uh, crazy is that it, the characterization of Space Jam didn't bother me nearly as much as as the same play in Ready Player One, right? No, I enjoyed Ready Player One. I enjoyed Ready Player One also, but found myself really exhausted by like, why, all is, that. why is King Kong here? Why is the, you know, it's, I don't know, interesting, but I'm probably never going to watch that movie again. Is it interesting? Maybe that's not the right word. I have watched it a few more times because Sarah likes it and it's definitely an enjoyable, easy movie to watch. Fair enough. I think the thing that really sort of uh, grinds my gears, if I can, mm-hmm. with Space Jam, A New Legacy, is it, it portends to be a skewering of the media environment that we're in, but it never rises even to approach satire. It just is the thing that it's claiming to make fun of. Mm-hmm. So I did laugh one time. I did laugh once. Okay, what do you got? When Bugs was drunk and he was trying to get LeBron or, or like LeBron was trying to get Bugs. I can't even remember now because that was the first time I watched, like the first day I watched it. And that feels like years ago. Yeah, I remember <laughs> laughing once at a Ron Funch's delivery. One of his play-by-play kind of commentary, just the energy that he gave the line with. I was like, oh, Funches showed up. Great. No, that's not Ron Ron Funches. That's Little Rel. Oh, it's Little Rel. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It is Little Rel. <laughs> it is Little Rel. Um, I have a poison in my brain of Ron Funches and WWE commentary. So uh, I'm just like expecting. He commentates on WWE? Bro, he is like deep in that world. That's very cool. I did yeah. not know that. <laughs> and I have like middle school wrestling nerd vibes going back. So there's, it occupies a slice of my brain. I apologize to both Ron Funches and Little Rel. It is Little Rel. One of his deliveries made me laugh at one point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I also, um, to try and defend it just a little bit, I do kind of like the, the arc that doesn't get paid enough attention to, even though it is the architecture of the story is like the video games versus the real world and the father-son dynamic of letting a person be the person that they are going to be that's Mm -hmm. all really good stuff i just i wish there was more of that and less of just like slap you in the face 
Mm-hmm. And hollow, honestly, hollow. I did not give a fuck about the video game of basketball. Like, I'd rather see people play like basketball. I didn't care about all these style points and trick shots and uh like i liked how the first one did it where it became like a part of the cartoon like and then in the end michael jordan becomes a piece of the cartoon by stretching his body to make that final dunk right like i don't know that obviously they upgraded it yeah i think we're just playing the same game it, yeah. it, it feels like NBA jam to me, you know, like the basketball's on fire and yeah, I guess NBA jam was pretty dope. It was <laughs> a blast, man. Okay. Three more. Zola. Oh, okay. What'd you think? Loved it. Right on. Yes. Must watch it. That's all I'll say. Don't want to say anything further. All right. Um, and then I watched the killing of two lovers this new indie film that I just randomly saw on Apple TV. It was on sale. And I was like, hmm, this came out this year. It's on sale. I'll, I'll just buy it. And it's the it's got a Clayton Crawford who had that like incident on the Lethal Weapon TV show with like him and Damon Wayans. Oh, right. Sure. Uh, but it's also got Chris Coy in it, who's really good. But it's just this very steady paced drama about this couple this wife and husband in the end of their relationship and it's great and for the title and how the the actual story is going has like such a release and a happy ending which i wasn't expecting and made me enjoy it even more right on yeah and then the last one is a rewatch called uh the death of dick long from one of the directors of Swiss Army Man. That's like 2020, like very recent, right? 2019. I haven't watched it yet. I have a copy of it, like literally sitting right here. Yeah, I've seen it uh, three times. Okay. This was my third time. And my buddy, I showed it to my buddy Taylor and he loved it. It is very funny, very, uh, (laughs) like a great dark woodsy, backwood uh, black comedy. Right on. All right, yeah, don't say more about it because I, it, you know, everybody has only said good things about it. I'm looking yeah. forward to watching it. You should definitely watch that. All right, speaking of watching things three times, I'll add this one to my list, although it was not here initially. Um, Inside, Bo Burnham's special. Mm-hmm. I've seen it once. My buddy Taylor loves it. He's seen it multiple times, went and saw it in theaters. I have literally watched it three times. I watched it one night with my wife, my wife, and the, we were blah, 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 had to watch it on a small screen. And then immediately we're like, I want to see that on a larger screen. So we came home and watched it again and on a bigger screen. And then I was, had to travel recently due to circumstances. So I um. it was, was spending some time with my mother and she was like, what should we watch? And I was like, watch this. Mainly because I want to watch it again. But she got something out of it. And she's a, a boomer, you know? She's a bit of a hippie, but a, a boomer. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Inside, man. I think it's one of the true pieces of art of our recent history. It's the best piece of pandemic art I've encountered without yeah, question. I can say that. I'll, yeah. I can definitely say that. 
I think the music is incredible. Yeah, like I enjoyed most of the songs. There was like three or four that I didn't really care for, but still the visual of them all was quite amazing and spectacular. Uh, It really speaks to the power of human creativity to give himself very limited, just kind of light resources. And and I don't mean like weight light. I mean, he just had a few different lights that he was playing with to produce luminance in the space and the way that he, anyways, yeah, I have <laughs> only positive things to say about that. There are a few songs that I like, I don't love, but there's none that I dislike, you know, and I, I loved it a lot. Really, really spoke to me in a serious way. Yes, I also, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, there were a few different points especially during the last year, especially in sort of light of the, some of the political news and the personal news that like really fucked me up. And I, in a way that I hadn't seen expressed and to see that was helpful. Yeah, I, f- I found it really valuable. How can I? All right, what here's some things I- that I do have written down that I was planning on talking about have you seen Gretel and Hansel? I have. What did you yes. think? Um, I liked it. I liked. I've only seen it once, but I, I remember I liked. My, I think I talked about it on this podcast. Like I think you did too. Back. back. Uh, I I did enjoy it. I thought it was. It lingered too much on something. What was it? Um, anyway, the acting was phenomenal. That's what I really liked, and I thought the cinematography was great. The one thing that did bother me about it was that everything is center framed. I don't hate that. I actually kind of dig it. I liked it, but I also wanted to see some, like just a little variant, like every shot, it like comes to something center framed or pulls out from something center framed and it works. Like the cinematography is gorgeous. It's just, it, it it was redundant. That's it. Yeah, that's, I, so the level that I enjoyed this movie at is very much wallpaper. I think it's beautiful to look at. It does mm-hmm. become a little uh, insisting upon itself in the words of Lois Griffin. Um, <laughs> the center framing I'll excuse because I have a bit of a fan theory, which is that everything post the mushroom scene early on, the early mushroom scene is pure hallucination. So that's when the center focus really draws in. And Mm. I mean, my experiences with hallucinogens have been much more periphery where I like, I have a really distinct- Everything opens up. Absolutely. And I have this really distinct memory of one time looking at the sky and, you know, if I turn my head this direction, it's purple. But if I turn my head this direction, it's green. But I can't see both colors at the same time. I just have to like find the details at the periphery. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really- true about hallucinogens in general mushrooms specifically but to communicate that through cinema very very difficult you know yeah and i i just found it moody and beautiful and the performances are all really nice the it's a solid fairy tale so there's kind of nothing to complain about in the yeah, architecture there's definitely no reason not to see it it's still worth a watch yeah i liked it a lot I was I was pretty happy happy watching it, and then I got some sillier things. 
Have you seen Project X? Yeah, not in a long time. My buddy's a background extra in it somewhere. <laughs> Wait, no, 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 no. Sorry, there's a few. There's a movie that gets made. Project X is an enticing title. So there's like a 2016 Project X, a 2019, a 2021. The one I'm thinking of is that kid party one from like 2010, 2010 or some shit. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that one broke through a little bit. The one I'm talking about is from the 80s and it stars Matthew Broderick and Helen Hunt and chimpanzees. No, I've not seen this one. (laughs) Buddy, the whole conceit of the movie is that the military is training chimpanzees to be what we'd call now drone pilots. At this point, they're, yes, dude. (laughs) The whole time you're just like, why is this better? Why would you need the chimp to fly the remote control? Just let a human do it. It's a remote control. There's no reason for this movie to exist at all. Yeah, that doesn't sound right at all. It's bonkers, man. But the, (laughs) it ends with the chimps going free. So I'm, I'm in favor of that. The real reason it's worth mentioning is because more than twice in this movie is a chimpanzee flipping the bird. And that's always funny. That's just good cinema. I don't care what you say. I have to see this movie. It's, it's something, man. I, I couldn't... Project X from the 80s, okay. Yeah, Matthew Broderick, Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt disappears for the whole second half of the movie. Matthew Broderick takes over. They, a chimpanzee flies an actual plane. It's phenomenal. <laughs> and then a long, a long lost rewatch for me was Clifford. Martin Short and Charles Grodin. That's the one. <laughs> Hell yeah. When was the okay. last time you saw this movie? It's been it's been a while, but I love that movie's very funny. I loved it as a kid. It was very dark. Did you really? I did. Yeah, I, I loved it, dude. Like that and Drop Dead Fred. Like those those two go together. Okay. They're yeah. these like dark '90s movies where like people are trying to hurt these kids. Well, and they both like defy explanation. Where if you try and assign it like dream logic to it it doesn't work and if you well, try and assign human logic to it it doesn't work the fair. way these movies make sense is just as like as movies you know both drop dead fred and clifford because it's they're yeah, both but like people can, people psychoanalyze drop dead fred like the id like it is her id and everything and like you're either on the mom's side or you're on Fred's side and it's very divided. I, I always feel like the mom was being like too overbearing and like just crazy with her daughter, but people feel like, no, she's not. She's trying to protect her kid and she sees her daughter doing all these crazy things and she doesn't know what to do. So she's trying these other things. And I'm just like, ah, I'm still on Fred's side. I, I think there's an argument to be made both ways. I'm more on Fred's side just because I'm like, yeah, let people do what they're going to do. The problem that I have with Drop Dead Fred is the reality breaking. So the limits between her id and the real world are constantly in flux. So you end up asking these questions where it's like, well, is she the menace? Like, does she cause the damage? Or mm-hmm. is, is there this presence here? Right. 
and the movie never like settles Clifford. where Clifford is the like a it is Clifford. <laughs> he's like a demo, he's a presence, you know, he's the force that makes this thing happen. So yeah. There's I, also I, something really funny about taking an adult and making him a kid. Like Wet Hot American Summer does it, and that's very funny. Wet Hot like, American Summer yeah. succeeds so well because it's like fairly young adults playing teenagers. So it's satirizing yeah. a whole other thing in the industry. Taking a 40-year-old and having <laughs> a 10-year-old is bonkers, man. It is an intense so choice. <laughs> oh, man. He try- tries to kill him on the roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I liked it more this time than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it made me very uncomfortable. I didn't know how to handle the movie. This time... Oh, I love shit like that. I, I, I mean, I, I love it at this point in my life. What I dialed into was Grodin. It's the most I've ever liked him because I, I find him so gen, genuinely unlikable. And that's the thing, right? That's his gift to the world. He's, the curmudgeon. He's like the Chevy Chase of the time, Mike. Like, that's always kind Chevy of. Chevy Chase asshole. way too much credit. Charles Grodin. I mean, 70s Chevy Chase, like, dude, was like a thing in the early 80s Chevy. Like of Fletch course, no, of course he was a thing. I just mean in terms of like the performance that they're actually giving and the persona that they occupy. Chevy Chase never, I honestly, you know, this is a, a hot take alert, but I don't think it's until Community that Chevy Chase really lands the persona of Chevy Chase. There's 30 years of his career where, and you know, I'm speaking from 2020 where I'm just like, okay, so rich white asshole is a fucking asshole. What's the joke here? I'm not interested in this. And when it becomes, he's a doddering moron who doesn't understand his perspective or position in the world, then it's a joke. Up until then, it's just him being an asshole. And I'm... But I mean, I do find people being an asshole quite funny. Like, I love Fletch. I think Fletch is great. And... uh... I watched Fletch recently. Well, no, no. I watched the first half of Fletch recently and was just like, eh, this is on cable. I'm going to bed. Oh, I love Fletch. I love that director too. He's like one of, he's one of the random directors that no one knows about, but has made so many movies. Michael Who's the director? Okay. I've What's... seen every, I made a point to watch all of his movies and mm-hmm. I truly love all of them. There's two that I don't really care about. One, mm-hmm. one being like Bette Midler's concert performance which is great like it's awesome but i would never just pop that back on again well Uh, you're the wind beneath my wings so i disagree uh, he made a downhill racer he made prime cut the scout with brendan fraser i like the scout Uh, yeah i like the scout um uh oh my god there's so uh he made the campaign with robert redford i like the campaign yeah, he made like an '80s movie called The Island, which is like his take on horror films. I don't um, know that one. I, I, there's so much more. I'm just blanking on him right now. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, oh, his last one was A Simple Wish with Martin Short and the girl that plays Matilda. Um, I always want to say Thor Birch, but it's just not at all. Yeah, it's not Thor Birch. Oh man. 
what a bummer because i know her name too I've yeah seen and it she has a really like kind of a bittersweet story about how danny devita and it's rita perlman right uh in matilda for, yes yes uh her name is is mara wilson mara wilson and this is doubtfire fucking miracle on 34th street fucking yeah she's in a lot of 90s stuff she wasn't in prancer was she that's not her doesn't matter yeah anyways apparently danny devito and rio perlman were very nice to her and that's a lovely story yeah but it's because her mom was dying like was dying of cancer during production and yeah uh right before she passed away danny took like a cut of the movie to her in the hospital and let her watch it there before she passed wow that's sweet mm-hmm. yeah well good for them i guess that's the end of my criticizing of fletch but i'm not a fan that's fair i can understand why people aren't fans of chevy chase though yeah i just i don't get it it's one of those ones where i just i'm constantly like I, I just don't get it, you know? You also don't like Warren Beatty. No, but I get Warren Beatty. I get Warren Beatty. I don't like him, but I won't besmirch people for feeling like he, he's a movie star. He is. He's got charm. He's got charisma. I just want to punch him in the face. But there's he has a square jaw and a blue or green eye. You know, he's objectively convincing the thing. I will forever be of the opinion that the best Beatty is Ned and the actual best Beatty is Shirley MacLaine. There's just no fucking question about it. Yeah, Ned is pretty great, though. Yeah, rest in power, Mr. Sir. Yeah, man. Um, okay. So that's what I got for uh, movies. I could talk a little TV if you're interested, but we could also just move on to Lake Placid. It's say? up to you. I bet I could guess one of the TV shows. Oh, shit. Guess. Ted Lasso season two. I did watch the first episode. Yeah, did you? No. I watched the first episode of season one. I was like, eh, not for me. Wow. Yeah. It was wow. just like, I didn't really care for it. Here's, wow. Well, this is the last episode of Made in the 90s. <sighs> No, it's so good, man. I mean, if if you're, it, it is super sentimental and schmaltzy <laughs> and like high energy stuff, but it's so knowing and intentional. There's a moment as a filmmaker, Dylan, I'm pointing my finger. There's mm-hmm. a moment in like season, or sorry, season one, but it's like episode ah, five or six. It's about the midpoint of the series where Ted Lasso loses his shit on the star player and it's the first time you see him like scream and yell but the whole time he's screaming and yelling he's just like oh yeah but i thought you were a team player my mistake sorry buddy i didn't mean to misunderstand you it's just that like a lot of us are professional athletes so when we get on the field we give it our all but you know you gotta do what's right for you that kind of energy and so Uh he being a total fucking asshole just with the nicest guy energy that ted lasso can bring you know the the filmmaking the storytelling the scripting it it really is exceptional in what they're trying to accomplish and to strengthen that point the first episode of season two brings us a real 
stereotypical sports trope, which is that the star athlete is broken and we got to bring in the sports psychologist, right? Mm -hmm. And for most sports things, that would be the arc. That's our whole season right there. Can we fix the star athlete? Ted Lasso solves that problem halfway through episode one and then turns the issue back to our main character, Ted Lasso. I, it's very, very good writing. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't made it past the first episode. Shocking. Speaking of very good writing, I've been watching Deep Space Nine <laughs> to go to sleep. Ooh, yeah, no, I wouldn't. Not my, not my cup of tea either. Okay, but what if I told you that Frank Langella was in Deep Space Nine? I love me some Frank Langella. What if I told you that Wallace Shawn is a recurring character? Who? Wallace Shawn. It's inconceivable. Oh, <laughs> perfect. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> I, it's, it's schlock. It's just pure pulp, but it's peak pulp. And for my money, Deep Space Nine, at this point in the run of Star Trek, does something that Star Trek kind of refused to do up until then, which was like, be silly as hell. <laughs> you know, it just really leans into that energy. And I like it a lot. Um, I've been watching the Olympics. We don't have to talk about that, but I do want to talk about Search Party. Have you watched any of that? No, but I have a friend who's obsessed with it, like loves it so much. And, you know, probably not I, my thing. It's like sketch humor. No, it's, it's character study stuff. If you're oh, seeing well, it, the way she pitched it to me, it's like character study in like sketch comedy. And I was like, eh, I don't like, I don't, I'm not big into sketch comedy like that. Like she, that's her whole world. She loves sketch comedy. I wonder if we're talking about the same show with um, Elia Sockhart from Arrested Development. And a uh, blonde haired kid. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember his name at the immediate term. Ron Livingston is in the first few seasons as well. Yeah, but they're searching for like a missing girl, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah. John Early, that's who yes, I think. Yes, he's phenomenal. Yeah, he, <laughs> the he's the reason why I would watch it, but there's just so many seasons, I just don't really care. Yeah, I, so... I'd rather watch a movie. I binged through the first three seasons and was like, it's one of those things where the first half of the first season I'm kind of in and out on and then the last episode of the first season is one of the best hour uh, it's a half hour but one of the best half hours of entertainment storytelling that I've ever seen mm. and the second season's very good the third season is really really good with um oh Jesus I'd have to look up her name but the uh, the woman who plays the lawyer in the uh jesus christ this is so bad i'm sorry anyways <laughs> phenomenal really really good stuff and then the fourth season totally jumps the shark and i have only watched like three episodes of it so i'm kind of like i don't know you know we'll see how we go here but the first three seasons are totally worth watching because mm -hmm. it is i i yeah i hearing it phrased as a sketch show kind of breaks my brain i just feel really differently about that i don't think she meant it like as it's a sketch show more as it's like sketch comedy. I, yeah, I just, I, I, 
I'm way on the other end of the spectrum in there. Hmm. Like, yeah, it, and I don't know what she means. <laughs> it, it's one of those things that's, it's a half hour dramedy is how you would pitch it, but it's, it's mostly a drama. It's just that the characters are very funny people. So you need comic actors to pull it off. Mm-hmm. So I would say two to three times an episode, it becomes uproariously funny. And most of the time you're just like, what the fuck? So that's like right where I'm at as a writer and a, you know, that gotcha. that's that's my shit. So I I really, I really like dig I what it's doing. Your opinion a little more too than <laughs> right? yeah, take that sketch comedy performer. Yeah. Um, but still don't really care to watch it. I just don't watch TV shows. Like they're just I've cycled back around. So I, I watch so many movies that I've, I've kind of gone to TV just as a, like a palate cleanser. And it, it yeah, anyways. No, don't get me wrong. I like, there's still like episodes of shows that I've been watching for so long, like Bosch just ended. Sure. So I'm looking forward to the next spinoff of that like that, that i'm very excited for that i hope i get cast on it that'd be fucking dope oh boy <laughs> you're gonna play bosch no bosch is gonna be playing <laughs> bosch but he's no longer a lapd detective he's gonna go a uh, private investigator because he hates uh the lapd institution that's even cooler honestly because hell yeah titus welliver was never one to follow the rules nope. i mean so that's cool. the setup of the show, right? The in the first episode of the first season is like that shooting, and he's like, uh, "No, it went like this, right?" No, the first episode is the Laurel Canyon dead body. Oh, is that the end of the first season with the shooting in East LA? Probably, yeah. I I can't remember exactly. It's been so long since I've seen season one. Fair enough. Uh, but love it. Titus Welver is fucking awesome. He's a good actor. Uh, you just you realize we haven't talked about Lake Placid yet. <laughs> I know, and it's been a long time. Let's not talk about anything else. Let's only talk about Lake Placid from now on. <laughs> Here's what I have to say about Lake Placid. More Bill Pullman at the heart of disaster movies. Uh, I say more Oliver Platt. Buddy, I have a long rant to go on about Oliver Platt and Brendan Gleeson. Do you want to get to it now or should yeah, we? Yeah, let's do it. Do it. Okay. So my whole thing about this movie, I love this movie. I like, I, I logged it in my letterbox just today. And the last time I watched it, I gave it three stars and I was very disappointed in myself. This is a five-star movie. The thing that really elevates this is there are a handful of incredibly talented actors. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to focus on Platt and Gleason. Uh-huh. You're more of an actor than I have ever been, so you might be able to comment on the actor's secret, but my, my strong suspicion is that Oliver Platt and Brendan Gleason both... Whoa! Sorry. No worries. Both knew what this schlock was and wanted to give it their thing. So they made a choice between just the two of them that there would be sexual tension in this movie. And I am 
the entire time waiting for Platt and Gleason <laughs> to hook up. I'm all for it. They play it so well, man. It, all for that. <laughs> okay, let me list out some points of evidence because I have a literal paragraph written here. It's gibberish, so bear with me. Um, okay. Oliver Platt at one point says, did she tell you we had sex together? That's a direct quote. Dylan, yeah. have you yeah, ever yeah, yeah. referred to the act of coitus as having sex together? Nope. It's like, whatever. Making sex on her. I do sex with her. Did she tell you we have sex together? In the next scene, when Gleason walks into the tent and all of the, uh, it's not the next scene, but it's in rapid order. Uh, and all of the sheriff deputies or whoever are partying, he does a sweep of the room, but the cut is close up Gleason, close up Platt. And then he gives the line about like, oh, what's going on here? We have to stop this. And then again, Platt refers to Meredith Salinger, who maybe we'll get to, I'm sure we will, as having big boobies. That's yes, a direct quote. That. Yep. Big boobies. Big boobies. Okay, that's fucking weird. But this, <laughs> my, my belief that the cut is meaningful of Gleason walking into the room and making direct eye contact is supported by Bridget Fonda earlier in the movie where she says something like, oh, I can't, uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. Smash cut to Bill Pullman driving in the truck being the mid 90s sex symbol that he is. Hell yeah. I think the editor is in on this joke, you know? To bring it even further, they meet Gleason and Platt meet in the middle of the night in their underwear and start talking about each other's dicks. Like, <laughs> that's not the only time that they're talking about putting dicks in mouth. The whole movie is, it, it's very, very homoerotic and I am here for it because it's two exceptional actors bringing a whole level of subtext of this movie that it doesn't deserve but makes it really really enjoyable so oh man i'm right there with you and i love this theory and i'm forever keeping that theory as mine <laughs> i'm glad to hear it man because i really I, I i think there's something there i really do oh yeah this uh i think my favorite part this time watching it was when the bear came I was like, they put a fucking real bear in this movie. Yeah, that's a sure real did. bear. I'm just yeah. like, holy shit, this is a real bear. And then I was like, why'd they put a bear in a crocodile movie? And then the crocodile come up and ate it. And I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's also that moment right at the beginning where like, oh, it could be a bear that that, that uh -huh. did this. And they're like, yeah, no, yeah. no bear bit a moose's head off. And then next scene, bear and just getting half a guy's body off in the water. Oh, buddy. I just that listened. looks so cool. I think the movie's pretty well directed. I, yeah. I think the sort of jaws through the water stuff really works. I think the gore effects work. I think the smash zooms on the critter work. I think the fact that we kept the alligator CGI and animatronics. Sorry, pardon me. Pardon me. The crocodile 
animatronics and CGI very constrained. It's uh-huh. like, I, I don't want to compare this movie to Jurassic Park. No, but, but it's from the same guys that, like the guys that created animatronics for Jurassic Park created this animatronic. And uh, the, thing that, the thing that they do so well there is only use the CGI when we can't use the animatronic. Uh-huh. So when it can be a puppet, let's make it be the yeah. puppet. Like the shot of the crocodile eating uh, the helicopter. Intense. That looks fucking crazy cool. And even then after when it's like stuffed through and they're like, no, you don't have to kill it. And then they kill the other one because there's uh-huh. two of them. There's two of them. It looks pretty good. It does. I think the only like the CGI part that really stood out was uh, it eating the cow. I also think the like when it's there. There's a few that are a little. I'm sure, there are a few. Little squishy. Like the main one I can remember. The other one that really makes me uh, itchy is uh, when it's on the flatbed on the truck at the very at the end, end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. That's not love- CGI though. That's the animatronic. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. All right. I see. Yeah, yeah. Directed. Pretty sure that's the animatronic. Okay. It looked a little rough to me maybe it just looked like a rough crocodile i mean it is a rough crocodile the thing's been through hell yeah uh <laughs> this I'm trying to think of like where this falls is this a good midnight horror movie or is it a better uh early bird horror movie not necessarily saying like daytime but like no midnight. it is kind of a daytime horror movie though well, it's bright. It, you know, yeah. almost all of the action happens during the daylight hours for sure. But as a midnight programmer, this thing is gangbusters because it's a midnight program. I, you know, I might even push it honestly to two because if you're doing like a 24 hour thing, just because it really to wake people up. Yeah, it punches, man. And yeah. it's so much fun. Yeah. I, I, but as a midnight programmer, no problem. Okay. What, okay. What do you think about Gleason's accent? Uh, it definitely feels like he's trying to put on an accent, but I don't care because he's still such a great actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's about where I land. Where I, I think if I hadn't been living here for the past few years, I might not have noticed it. But there's just these few little things where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's not. This is that's not quite an right. early American film for him, too. So, like, it's probably him trying it for one of his first few times maybe yeah sure no you might be right about that uh you know who directed this uh auto is that the steve minor oh it's it is a minor no auto did the the effects or something sorry no (laughs) john ottoman did the music that's that's what i said john ottoman something like that uh but uh, so this movie was supposed to go into production much sooner, but weather conditions wouldn't allow them. So Steve Miner picked up another directing job in between the time, and it was Halloween H2O. So he made that and then went straight to filming Lake Placid, which are two killer 90s horror movies. And on the complete different spectrum, like you get serial killer and you get a creature feature. Well, do you know Steve Miner's long history, right? No. So he was crew on like um, 
I'll have to jump forward to, so he directed Friday the 13th part two and part three, but he was like oh. the, he was like the AD or the SF guy, you know, he was deep on Friday the 13th, the original. Uh-huh. And then also a, a few before that, where he like did effects or he was in uh, the crowd. It is, um, I think it might've been, yeah, some like editorial department on Last House on the Left. That's yeah, that's the stuff that I'm talking about. So he was, you know, fledging his way through Hollywood and and got into this horror vibe. And and he was the second unit director on the first Friday the Thirteenth. So that's probably how he got to direct Part Two. That's exactly right. I've been listening to um, in in Voorhees we trust with Gorley and Rust. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've heard of this. It's pretty good, man. I mean, if you're into long podcasts about movies, you could definitely do worse. So they cover a lot of this history for sure. Uh, go there because they have better information than I do. <laughs> He's also directed like nine episodes of The Wonder Years. And like won some Emmys for it and stuff. He has some accolades as a director. It's mm. fascinating to me that his feature career is i i don't know i think lake placid is straight up great everything oh. else in his filmography i'm a little like what oh is i still for? i still go halloween h2o over lake placid any day well but, uh, like i said earlier this is the last episode of made in the 90s <laughs> h2o is so good i think it's definitely an understated michael myers movie that's the one with buster right no no that's, that's resurrection. That's resurrection. Okay. H2O is the one with LL Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He's the security guard and it's has a co-write from Kevin Williamson and we did it. Oh did yeah, it. that's why I hate it. No, you loved it, remember? No. You liked it. You liked it. I don't. I I actually now that you're saying it, I feel like I remember saying something along the lines of this is my favorite Kevin Williamson thing. And I'm... No, that was the faculty. That was the faculty. Listen, I just hate Dawson's Creek so much. Yeah, so stop stop putting... And he, the thing is, he just created that show. There's writers on that show that wrote those very terrible episodes. Okay, he did approve them. Was he, he was the showrunner, right? Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, but I mean, fuck it. He didn't fully write it. Fair enough. Yeah, you can't do a redraft on every episode that comes by you. Anyways, I'll I'll move beyond Dawson's Creek. You're right. I have liked a fair amount of Kevin Williamson movies, but uh, what we did, I know what you did last summer can still go fuck itself. All right. Fine. All right. right. That's probably the worst of them. Do we talk David E. Kelly? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is a Kelly joint. And it is. He, I was very surprised when I saw that this time. I was like, whoa. I mean, that's where Alan Arkin comes in, right? Uh, sorry, Adam Arkin. Adam Arkin, yeah. That's yeah. what I like, I don't know. I don't remember Alan. Son <laughs> of Alan Arkin. Uh, he also did Mystery Alaska, which I remember not really caring for. That is my my wife's single favorite movie and i watch it mystery alaska about the hockey team that has to play against 
the whatever it is. It's like the Olympic the team or the, the professional team. Shit? Yeah, some shit like that. Isn't Russell Crowe in it too? Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's I have to I have to rewatch this now. <laughs> Buddy, you have to watch that eight times before you catch up on my level of knowledge about Mystery Alaska. I have oh. seen it plenty. Oh man. They skate to skating like you know those those stories you hear about, oh, in Copenhagen, when the river freezes over, they skate to work. They ice skate uh-huh. to work. They do that, but they ice skate to their hockey practice. So they're just like skating to more skating. It's so delightful. <laughs> Mystery Alaska. So David E. Kelly is famous for, correct me if I'm wrong, writing on his back and being a terrible person. Is that accurate? I have no idea. I don't know anything about this guy. I just see that he uh, created Doogie Hauser and wrote Lake Placid, Mystery Alaska, created Chicago Hope and Ally McBeal. Yep. And then some random shit and then the practice and then Boston Public yep. and uh and Boston Legal. Boston Legal and then fucking nothing, nothing, I don't know, those big little lies. Um yeah. damn, he's got a he's created a lot of shit. No, and he kind of reminds me sort of like I this has given both of them way too much credit, but Aaron Sorkin, you remember when he got fired from the West Wing for doing mushrooms? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, you can't do that. And he was like, yeah, well, I have to come up with 20 episodes a season. Can you just let me do whatever insane drugs I need to do so that I can get this shit out on paper? And so just David, let me write. <laughs> just let, and uh, happy to, sir. And David E. Kelly's thing was that he would lay down, like he had some apparatus where he would strap legal pads to the bottom of a desk and lay on his back and like write longhand and then give all of his handwritten notes to some poor writer's assistant who had to transcribe that. And that's how a lot of 90s television was made. Wow. I did not know that. It's He's married thing. to Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, good for him. I think there's a what's the is there a How I Met Your Mother episode about the Reacher and the Settler? You know, mm, I don't even remember. I've seen every episode of that. Every relationship has a Reacher and a Settler, and they're trying to decide who is the who's who's punching out of their weight class and who is just like, uh-huh. yeah, this is good enough. So Michelle Pfeiffer. Thank you for being a settler. Also, my wife. Thank you for being a settler. And thank you, and thank you to David E. Kelly for writing your wife's favorite movie. Yes, yes. Thank you, David E. Kelly. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't have specific hate for David E. Kelly. I never worked with the guy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know much about him. I just learned a shit ton about him just in these last two minutes. <laughs> Fair enough. I, speaking of, it must be a David E. Kelly thing. I love an Emily Post reference. And it, you don't even know what I'm saying. Nobody does. No, when does it happen in this? Bridget Fonda is like, she says, what's the line? Like, oh, this makes as much sense out here as Emily Poe. I don't remember exactly what her line is. 
but like, like, <laughs> like he, she's insinuating that Emily Pope's like writing doesn't make sense. No, she's insinuating that her presence in a wild environment makes as much sense as Emily uh, Post going to write Walden. Gotcha. Different experiences. And gotcha. what popped into my mind was Larry David screaming about Emily Post in some episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where he's just like, who are you? Emily fucking Post? <laughs> and I had no idea what that meant. It was like, I, I got to Google this name. And so same joke. Larry David's is much funnier. Larry David. Oh, new season of Curb is coming. That's what they say. Oh, no, it's filmed. It's all done. I uh, I was trying to get on it. I saw many breakdowns, but they never picked me. Uh, that's life. Yep, that's life. Uh, I mean, if we're going to commiserate for a second, I, I just had to pass on a uh, job for Apple. It was a, a TV show for Apple TV that is... when the, It's NDA stuff, but when the cast list comes out, I you'll understand why I was very frustrated about having to pass on this opportunity because it just was like a little, yeah, I'm not going to get into it, but. Well, when it gets released, tell me. I will. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back around to that. Okay. Yeah. It was a tough day. Tough, tough day in the household. <laughs> um, um, I don't have any other notes. Okay. So I got a few. Let's do few. it. Yeah. So relating back to Bridget Fonda and her allergy to timber, I think she's giving an incredible performance here. I think she's giving a really knowing performance, but it, it, it does speak to the thing that I was saying about uh, Platt and Gleason, where there are really talented people elevating a pretty shitty script here. Mm-hmm. And so her energy being able to sell some of that stuff is really, really, really good. And what's the, oh, her character intro is that she's doing breathing exercises wrong. Yeah. Beyond that, she falls down like three times times in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be conservative. Most of her character is just stumbling. (laughs) I wish there was something more for her to do because what is the point? Like, why bring her out here? What is the... And it speaks to another question that I have about this movie. And again, don't get me wrong, five stars. But why do they need to capture the crocodile? What is the they want to study it? They want to study it. it. To what end? We know that crocodiles get large. There's nothing that can be taught from this that we don't yeah, already true. know. They get big. They're reptiles. So they're subject to indiscriminate growth or whatever that phrase is. They will grow until they die. So mm-hmm. if this thing has managed to traverse and also the like saltwater, freshwater thing, it's challenging, but there are some reptilians that can do it. Absolutely. I, There's been incidences of crocodiles going up into freshwater. Absolutely. Yeah. There was even, um, if the kind of water quality changes, when I was a kid, every so often we would get a Jaws alert. So I'm from Minneapolis, which is on the Mississippi River. And if there was a, a massive inflow of saline water from the ocean into the Mississippi, you would catch sharks like up into Missouri, Tennessee, 
Iowa. They, I don't think they ever got as far north as Minnesota, but the salinity of the water changes enough that saltwater creatures will go explore it. Mm -hmm. I just, so I hate to be assigning logic to this thing, but I'm just like, why are we doing any of this? What is the point? Maybe try and just like lure it out. Let's just blow it up. I'm with whoever wants to kill the gator. Uh, sorry, yeah. crocodile. 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 Um, uh, we haven't mentioned Betty White yet, actually. Um, she's kind of amazing. Uh, uh, she, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. She's amazing. She has some of the funniest lines. And uh, she is responsible for all this. And I love that her excuse for murdering her husband, her lie about murdering her husband is a different murder of her husband. She's like, no, no, he didn't get eaten by crocodiles. I hit him with a frying pan. He Well, he was dying anyway. So, you know, I decided to just take him out. He's buried under the porch. You should check. I love it. Yep. So that brings me to the sequels. That's kind of all I have left here. Have you seen any of them? No. How many sequels to Lake Placid do you think there two. are? I know there's two and three. Buddy, there are at least six. Ooh, where do there, you go? <laughs> just more gators. Actually, where do you go? <laughs> okay, one of the movies is called Lake Placid versus Anaconda. What? What is happening right now? Anaconda, How does an anaconda get to Lake Placid? Gotta swim. It swims. From the Amazon? Why not? Lake Placid could do it. That's my point here, is that the title of this movie is not Crocodile versus Anaconda. It's Lake Placid, Lake Placid. versus Anaconda, which indicates to me that the environment of the lake is too much for the anaconda to surmise. It just can't overcome this issue. That own crocodiles. I think I have to watch that one. It also suffers from like part three, the final chapter, uh, part five, never going back again, part seven, the legacy type yeah. of titling. Yeah. You Which know, that legacy came out in 2018. Very recent. Oh, yeah, it's got a couple people I recognize, actually. It's got Joe Pantoliano. Okay. Um, number oh. two has, let me see if I can pull this cast up real quick, because one of the things that Lake Placid 2 has going for it is um, a lot of weed jokes, but also more nudity than the first oh. one, which is surprising because it lists itself as a television movie. I want It must have been like a... Cinemax After Dark kind of thing, or let's say American Made for Television, yeah. But oh. the most but there's there's full on boobies in this movie. Maybe they edited oh. some scenes for DVD. Oh, you know what? I did watch the unrated cut, so I felt like Oliver Platt ogling boobies. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. That's I was watching the unrated. Yep, there cut. is an unrated version. Um, I am the proud owner of all 
seven Lake Class movies. I don't know how many of them there are. But the sequel is very sequelitis in that it switches out Betty White for Cloris Leachman. I do like Cloris. Is she playing the same character? No, but yes. Gotcha. That's all you got The other notable faces are Sam McMurray, uh, who you recognize as the villain in every 90s movie, and uh, Ian Reed Kessler, who had more of a TV career than other things, but he's one of those faces where you're like, oh yeah, that guy. He's in everything. And he's kind of the- the Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, yep. So he occupies a lot of this movie and that's all I will say about it. All right. Stay tuned for my report on the other Lake Placid movies next week. <laughs> Full essay exposition on two, three, four, final chapter, legacy. Buddy, and- I tweeted out, I, I, I want to circle back to the, the, the subtext of Gleason and Platt loving each other makes this thing go. That's Lake Placid for me. Lake Placid for you.